1: Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, uh, I was going to say I'm your host, Susan Fox. And I am your other host, Gene Turnbull. (laughs) And and the reason I got confused is because Susan is going to be pretty much carrying most of this show today. It's mine. Yeah. So, yeah. And our our guest today is Gail Carriger, who is the author of... The uh, Parasol Protectorate, The Tinkered Stars,
2: and its latest entry, Divinity 36. Welcome to the show, Gail.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely delighted to be here.
1: We're delighted to have you. I just... Susan has read your stuff and the only part uh, of your stuff that I've read is uh, Divinity Thirty Six, the first chapter, and I'm absolutely enchanted.
2: And full disclosure, I'm a big fan of your work. Gene oh. had not read any of it until the uh, the sample chapter today, and he's enchanted.
1: Oh yeah! Oh Oh, yeah. oh God, I love I love your your first chapter. Oh yeah! Wow, just out of the out of the park.
0: Thank you so much. I'm 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 charmed and delighted.
1: <laughs> I'm 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 trying to be a writer too, and I'm still. You know, still still struggling trying to find my voice, and and you've obviously got yours nailed. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> Thirty bucks in, I'm like, yep. I think I, I think it's a little. It's just at this juncture, you know, convincing my readers to try me doing sci-fi more than anything, or to try me doing YA, whichever barrier they've decided yeah. to throw up. I can can me- I ask if, in general, you guys tend to yeah, lean in a- some particular way when talking about genre, or I mean,
1: uh, narrative. Nope.
2: we'll read anything once, twice if you like it. And all the time if yeah. it's you you yeah, <laughs> see we... that shouldn't be a battle between YA or science fiction or fantasy or steampunk It, you know you read the writers you like no matter what they mm-hmm. do yeah, yeah
0: that, well I mean that's how I am but you know that readers are readers are crazy interesting creatures I, I mean one of the things I've learned over the years is that uh, you, I think most authors make a very grave mistake when they judge readers as they would judge themselves mm-hmm. I think readers and authors are actually different creatures from each yeah, other
1: yeah Heck, I like Louis Lamar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love uh, JD McDonald if you want to talk like interesting, sort of, more on pulps and stuff
2: like that. (laughs) Well, you're a writer with latitude, I must say. Where How we first fell in love with you was the Parasol Protectorate and its related books, which bring alive a universe of supernatural beings, airships, intrigue, adventure, and mad science trying to make sense of it all in a Victorian era, as perhaps it should have been. Uh, then you skip the 20th century entirely and pick it up in the same world in a contemporary milieu with the San Andreas Shifters, werewolves, and their f- friends and lovers in California. Meanwhile... Somewhere along the line, you've switched entirely to uh, science fiction. The Tinkered Stars series, we, a future history where genetic manipulation has divided human life into mutually alien races who eventually try to understand each other. And there's no aliens. These are all human-derived somewhere in, in their history, Right you figured it out
0: uh yeah it's funny I I feel like in, uh, so there are currently I mean there's about to be three books in the in the sci-fi series and I feel like it's made pretty clear that that my premise is that humans took to the stars and encountered nothing at all and so ended up having to create for themselves their own aliens and then may or may not have forgotten about that fact uh, through a, something I call s- somaforming, where they instead of terraforming an alien world they they essentially altered human genetics to accommodate alien worlds. Um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty clear in my sci-fi series, but some some, uh, some readers are like, wait, what? What's happening? I'm like, well,
2: hopefully it'll be all clear to you soon. <laughs> well, the more the more insular races seem to refer to other ones as aliens, so, you yes. know. <laughs> that's
0: exactly it. Yeah, alien is kind of a dirty word because um, the implication being that, that they aren't human anymore, or that 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 the speaker has forgotten their human human source. Um, so, yes, but I think perhaps that is be- because I am talking to sci-fi radio. So you bring sci-fi readerdom to the table when you are interpreting this. Not all, not all, all all of my readers kind of are would I think categorize themselves as science fiction readers. Many of them would, but I think a lot of them come from fantasy or romance to reading me, and so. Um, Introducing them to sci-fi has been an interesting, interesting journey
2: for me to take. (laughs) Well, there's certainly enough, you know, romance and adventure in The Tinkered Star so far. I mean, I insist we must be invited to uh, the wedding of Dre and Triss. I mean, that's going to be fabulous.
0: (laughs) I'm sure it will. For the listeners, this is my uh, fifth gender book, which I, I do like to genre mash up. So it's kind of a cozy murder mystery, but it's on a space station with a a purple alien, an adorable purple alien with with noodly, perhaps sentient hair, um, and and yes, it, it, that is a self-contained little story that ends that ends you know with the solution to the case and. Happily, but uh but many people want to know uh what, what will be the next mystery that these two investigate and what's happening next. So there will, I promise, be be another installment. I have a great idea for the next book in that series, so it's gonna happen. This
2: has to happen. Okay, I'm gonna squee off off mic somewhere later because I must. <laughs> oh, what does <else> my <laughs>
1: Is, i'm sorry <laughs> she's she's i will i'll vamp here while she reads her notes i i'm just uh uh the whole concept you know the the scene setting the mise en scène of it uh is just uh it was wonderful to absorb you know all of this new um well it's familiar and yet it's not yeah
2: you know, it's like it's like a, we've all been to a coffee house, okay? Yeah,
0: exactly. So now we're talking about the sample chapter of Divinity Thirty Six, mm-hmm. um, which is the beginning book of a trilogy uh, that is essentially about a human barista kind of on a forgotten backwater moon, who is recruited by aliens to become uh, entertainment performer, which they call gods. Um, And there may or may not be a kind of religious worship cult going on around this entertainment system that the aliens are clearly using to take over the galaxy. Uh, And the question is, do we want them to do this uh, with art or not? Um, Are they being uh, sinister, or, or are they doing this for our good? We don't know. Uh, that's kind of the journey of the book. Uh, but it, it, the the opening takes place with the care the main character, being recruited, being actively recruited. So you meet the main character at work in what you're talking about, this sort of familiar idea of being a barista and working service, which I did for a very long time. <laughs> so there's the that familiarity, but also it's like in the far future. So of course. Uh, the beverages are kind of ours but also not the coffee setup is kind of us but it's also on a space station Um, i thought
1: i detected a note of solid authenticity that could only come from (laughs) personal experience
0: yeah there's a frustration of trying to convince a customer to like actually just order the drink and keep the line moving (laughs) right right (laughs) right
1: the uh the alien recruiter uh, yeah,
0: um. kind of maybe flirting with him or something and and Fex doesn't know what's going on, but it's really just trying to take the drink order um but that yeah, that definitely comes from personal experience. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed the interchange between uh, Fex and the, the recruiter. Uh, so this is like,
2: somehow this throws me back to the 1950s and, and recording studio agents running around the country looking for, you know, yes. people in the backwoods who could sing or play a guitar, you know? Yes. That's, I'm yeah. sure I saw this in the Twilight Zone, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just,
1: just a moment here. Nemo, get out of the window. Get, get, come here, yeah, dumb dog. dog yeah. Welcome to dog talk. On, on uh, he does, on he does videos. this every time. Come up here. Now lie I down.
0: will say for anyone curious uh, who's listening, who knows me, that yes, there will be an animal eventually. There, there is an animal in in all of my books of some kind, uh, and I realized. It, as I was writing the first book, that there was no animal in the series, and that of course betrays the brand. So, and uh,
2: <laughs> the um, um, what about Mr. Min- Minugeness? <laughs> Mr. Montigulous. in in, the in, in, the,
0: in gender. Um, in this, in this, this trilogy, there there will be a, an animal present, but uh, she shows up in the second book. So, don't worry. There's, okay, there's- I'll I'll contain myself. <laughs>
2: Uh, do you do you think we should recommend people uh, read card wrap first because obviously fex comes from a very similar background to mara
0: he does. Uh, yes, you can read credret Cord- as background. And, of course, I want you to read everything I've written, naturally. Uh, but it isn't vital. It isn't like you have to have done homework or prepared or anything like that. But uh, if you become curious about Vex's background, which is revealed slowly but not in an, in particular detail, obviously it has an impact on him. Like, why is he a refugee? Like, why, why can't he go home again? And That is an incredibly important part of his personality and character so of course you need to know a little bit about it but if you want the details of what it was like to actually be a crud rat back in the wheel then yeah you need to have read crudrat to know that but it isn't necessary to understand
2: this particular book and series it's like a victorian chimney boy with high tech
0: yes that's exactly <laughs> what i was thinking of when i was writing crudrat is that's, uh...
2: Uh,
0: yeah i also was thinking about that hilarious part of um what is the star trek maki drama w- with all of the comedian uh space quest uh star quest no oh shoot <laughs> i am more
1: galaxy of- quest
0: galaxy quest thank you uh my brain is, is slightly broken because i didn't get much sleep last night um there's a scene in galaxy quest where they're put through this like physical test in the engine room of <laughs> the ship where they like have to jump over things and like avoid beams and you yeah know? yeah huge turbines and stuff. This is a and, stupid thing. And they make that yeah. like, Why is this what here? Were the, what were the writers doing? Why are we doing this? This is the dumbest plot point. And I was like, that's hilarious. I'm going to write a whole book about that. Like, I'm going to create <laughs> an, entire, an entire space station that operates on a technology that requires child labor. It requires small-statured, small-handed, athletic kids to in in the way that the original cotton mills did in the north of england um that's like partly based on that one scene from that movie or i was like <laughs> what if to stay in rotating around a sun in space we did have to do something weirdly physical but what if we had to use kids for it um so yeah that's how Crowd rat started
2: My my other question was, it isn't the far, far, far future of the parasol versus, I mean, we haven't seen anybody (laughs) change into another shape, but.
0: There have been no shapeshifters as as yet. I never rule anything out, Um, (laughs) but uh, I don't think so. Uh, You know, I have a lot of noodles in space, but so far no werewolves in space, although the idea of a werewolf in zero gravity is amusing,
2: um you know. <laughs> just watch his little paws running. Yes,
0: yeah, the way the fur would sort of puff and fluff would be <laughs> rather funny. I mean that's that was one of my most fun things to think about with the uh the opening sequence of the fifth gender is our alien cre- uh character main character has been left in charge of a cat and is delighted by the cat has never really experienced cats before and is just having the grid of course the cat gets out and starts running around the space station and uh there's a moment of speculation about what would happen to said cat in how the cat would react to zero gravity <laughs> and um who would survive this encounter the cat would probably survive but would anybody else <laughs> uh, um, so, yes, yeah, so I do think about, you know, that, that sort of the, the idea of, I, of course, I am uh, I am assuming many things based on my own training as as a, as an archaeologist and in history, which is, you know, certain things go into space with humans like certain food products, but also cats, obviously, to control for the inevitable vermin. Um,
1: I think in the 1980s, they actually did take a cat up in the vomit comet to see what it would do. <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember how the experiment came out, but uh, apparently... I don't think it
2: ever wound up on the space shuttle, so no, maybe not no.
1: well. Yeah, <laughs> it might not have gone well. I'm going to have to look that one up.
2: <laughs> I'm imagining
0: a little spacesuit for a cat and stuff.
1: Yeah, the... Uh,
2: oh, boy. Not quite I'm, Cosmo the dog, is it? Yeah, <laughs> no, not quite.
0: There were de- there was definitely a little. Uh, I remember as a kid reading some early early sci-fi sci-fi like not like Heinlein but something tangential to that where it was like cats in space or like people with cats as pets or kids as cats like in space. You know, so there was a there was certainly a spate of it.
2: Um, this idea, uh, but not. Yeah, cat, I, I tend to as opposed to I, I cat people in space, which is a whole other yeah. proposition. <laughs> yeah.
1: So you've written you've written a bunch of books at this point. How how many in your how many in your uh repertoire so far?
2: I
0: have gotten to the point where I simply say something like thirty, I don't know the actual count. <laughs> Also, like, That's there's so a question, cool. as, as, like, would you consider a, a rewritten graphic a- novel adaptation as a new book or a variation on an old book? Like, what counts as a book? Do novellas count? What about collections of short stories? Like, it just gets, it just gets increasingly complicated. Yeah, I guess that one. does get so, a little fuzzy. Yeah, it's easier for me to just say about 30, something like that, and then eventually, you know, in another five or ten years it'll be about 40 you
1: know (laughs) just switch how 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 scary was was your first one to do
0: well this is interesting because i am at least i think it's interesting maybe it's not interesting uh but i'm one of those authors who was pretty convinced it was a terrible idea to be an author But I could never not write fictions and I figured I'd write the thing if I finished it I might as well submit it and so uh, you know I always assumed I would be an an archaeologist and an academic and writing would always be a hobby of mine so I was never as like anxious really about the submission process or about the process of publication. I mean that said every time a new book comes out, I'm always scared something terrible is going to go wrong or <laughs> it's going to flop and everybody's going to hate it. Um, but but that I think is just sort of natural uh, human reluctance to put a, a creature of our heart out into the world and have it be criticized by others. Um, in terms of just like getting accepted and getting published, it was extremely exciting at the time, but I was also kind of like, well, this, uh, speaking in terms of soulless, it was You know, it was like the 10th book I had written at that juncture. Nothing else had been picked up or published or anything. And uh, it was also just, you know, I was like, that's so weird. Like, it's this strange steampunk thing that nobody really knows about at the time, obviously. It's a weird mashup of comedy of manners and romance and urban fantasy and history and steampunk. You know, it's just like all of this kitchen sink thing. And it's a weird, funny thing. I was like, no, one, it's just they won't even know how to market it. Like, I mean, I'm delighted it got picked up, but how on earth is anyone going to find it and know to like it, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so I kind of, I didn't really have particularly high hopes or I, I was just really happy that it got published at all. Um, so so most of my career has been kind of bafflement. <laughs> <laughs> light and then confusion and then bafflement and then me being like, okay, I'm going to try this thing now. And most mm-hmm. of my readers being like, yay, Gail, try the thing. <laughs> and me being like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah.
1: Neil Gaiman, among other writers, uh, insists that one of the things that m- me... One of the things that mean you should be writing is that you can't not write and and uh it, you seem to have come from that direction i mean a lot Definitely. that's the best um, motivation you don't you certainly don't do it to get rich you do it because you have stories to tell and you can't yeah. you can't not tell them
0: Yes, I mean, not to ennobalize it or anything. Like, I am prone to warning my readers or threatening them, however you care to look at it. Um, I will always write, but I also am happy to go back and do any one of the other jobs that I love and I'm good at and write less. (laughs) So (laughs) you get as many books as you get from me because I do this as my living, and I do need to make money off of it otherwise I'll just pull back and do something else. Like it's not, I'm not, um, I, I am one of those who is trying really hard to make it a not shameful thing to make a living off of being an artist. You're however, here. whatever form that takes. <laughs> um, so, um, yes, I will always write. Uh, but you know, if, if, Or when or perhaps never at this juncture a time comes where it's not my primary income that means that I would be very much more relaxed about how frequently I wrote and also what I wrote I'd I'd be even more whimsical about what I wrote if I didn't like have to satisfy my base and I do feel like I have to satisfy them like they're usually quite patient with me like they've given me quite a few years to write them some sci-fi which they're not even sure they really want they'll they'll like it once they try it trust me but oh they will they (laughs) will But what they really want is more parasolvers, and I'm aware of that. And they're aware that, you know, I will give it to them eventually, so long as they're patient, because I, I have in the past and I will in the future, um, because I know that's what they really want for me. So I think I, I, I kind of walk a line between art and artisan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I think I come from... Uh, archaeology as a background and so we draw a distinction between the two based on sort of historical lines but an artisan does take into account the market and what the market wants and in my case that's my my super fans and my readers you know so i i have a very intimate relationship with them i talk to them all the time i'll i'll poll them and ask them what they want you know i'm very much like they all know i might not immediately give it to them but it'll probably come eventually
1: so you uh you find yourself in the position of being an artist one day and an artisan the next when the inspiration may be a little bit thinner that day.
0: Exactly. Um, and, and also, uh, I like it that, I mean, that's another thing. I think a lot of authors don't like half of being an author or the, I would call it half of being an author, which is, um, the artisan like that. Yeah. Which is, you know, figuring out what, not the cover art that you like, but the cover art that's going to work for that book. And, you know, figuring out how to write copy for the back cover or how to pitch something or, or all of, all the sort of messy details of the business side of writing, which, I mean, even if you are mostly traditionally published, there's, there's still the business side of, you know, running of social media, um, presence or whatever it may be. For most of us, anyway, very few can can afford to simply write in a, on a typewriter in an ivory tower with a
1: beret on. Um. <laughs> there is a lot I, to it. There, just, yeah. I mean, beyond being a good storyteller, you also have to have at least some sense of how the business works. And there are. Rules and formula and 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 publishers have these these bullet point criteria that they use before they will look at a manuscript and, and now, even if it. you're
2: one of those five hundred pound gorillas who who you know will sell a big thousand page tome every time, they still have to follow some rules
0: <laughs> to protect yourself, if nothing else, yeah uh-huh. One of the things I always encourage newer authors to do is join a, some kind of writer's network, no matter what it will be, whether it's Sephora or a guild or Ally or an online you know, Facebook group like Wide for the Win or, or something, uh, just so you have other authors you can talk to. I mean, the primary way we... We protect ourselves and, and get reality checks <laughs> if nothing else is from other authors and that can also can and should be if you're able in person as well if you can go to conventions things like that. Um, networking and, and building friendships and relationships as, with other authors is I would call it my single most valuable asset as a creative um, just knowing I have friends out there who I can pick up and call depending on whether it's a plot bunny idea or a, or a contract term that I don't understand or don't know if I should negotiate on um I need my I need my fellow authors more than anything ones who have come up with me ones who I knew when I was you know a a wannabe ones who I have known since I hit the New York Times like these are all um valuable friends so yeah if you're an author out there make author friends please (laughs) they they are your vanguard
2: um, when I was that really a- separates uh, the science fiction field from others I mean there's no there seems to be no evidence of competition between them I hope not um, and, really- and you are right we are uniquely lucky in
0: mm-hmm. that in sci-fi fantasy in particular there's a wealth of Conventions, small ones, big ones, medium-sized ones. Um, there are also writers' conferences that are specifically teaching the craft of writing and things like that. You know, you can meet other writers there. Uh, you know, we're we're really, but I think sci-fi. I mean, I come out from fandom, so obviously I'm
1: pro <laughs> convention. <laughs> yeah, science fiction uh, as a genre seems to be a very collegiate sort of atmosphere when it comes to sharing this sort of information. I was, uh, Susan and I were guests of honor at uh, LostCon last year, year, and sitting in the green room, listening to the accomplished authors talk about the business, you know, just the business aspects of getting things done. It was like listening to a whole different language. It was a master
2: class in in the business of writing. Yeah, Yeah, yeah
0: amazing. I mean, I think back on on my like early early days being a uh, uh, not even before I I had uh, any books submitted or anything, those sci-fi authors who and it was almost always the sci-fi authors or the fantasy authors who, you know, just graced this little newbie with their time and you know, were happy to you know have me pick their brain at a at a bar or something like that. It is really a um a valuable resource that we've got. Yes, the green room. You named the thing I like the best about cons,
2: which is the green room.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, that and the free coffee and donuts.
2: That's <laughs> a lot. Honey, when I'm running the, the green room, it's, it's like the taco bar, okay?
1: <laughs> yeah. Because
2: <laughs> I, like, I like to know how to live. <laughs>
1: so let's see what have we got for what the name of the book is again the newest one divinity
2: 36 does that mean the next one is divinity 37. (laughs) Uh, no but there is a name uh
0: there's a d name i do like a little alliteration and a number in each of the titles and every aspect of that is significant my titles also have are always like foreshadow or something impactful Um, but i'm really careful about speaking of the business side of writing i'm really careful about Allowing the title then the title to go out in the world before I've officially Announced it by which I mean it's uploaded as a pre-order uh-huh. um, mm. Because my fans are glorious, but so rabid that they will put the metadata into places like Goodreads The moment I say the title of a new book and then if I decide to change the title or some other aspect <laughs>
1: or oh, Then all of that goodwill is wasted yeah well, it's I get more, it
0: it's just an incredible hassle to fix <laughs> it's just,
1: it's pain. yeah do you, do you do you title your books uh, early on or do, does that happen late in the process
0: generally pretty early I'm actually um this is you know the fun thing about having author friends is we talk about this kind of thing all the time I am a lover of titles so I love titling things so much that I title most of my chapters mm-hmm. um so which very few authors do I have quite a few author friends who hate having to come up with titles I love it I love coming up with titles I'm also pretty strategic and interested in, in metadata and keywords and things like that so I'm like uh-huh. so I pick my titles um, very judiciously like I knew when picking Divinity 36 that the divinity word might mess up my metadata because it would put my this book in with like
1: the religious tomes religious and-,
0: stuff. and I'm just yeah. like I don't want that but the 36 is the number 36 which immediately says sci-fi or says moon or whatever when you have a yeah, number yeah. title right that does something else
1: either so, that or it's the the just a sequel one more to divinity Reci-
2: 35 when... yeah one more
1: <laughs> one more fudge recipe you know
2: now I have to invent infinity 36 to to bring a plate of it to the next
0: convention hilariously this is a total tangent but hilariously one of the first things my readers ask me these days is what food they should be prepared to make that my book is going to make them crave
2: (laughs) (laughs) well come on I I think you did more for treacle tarts
0: than, than anyone exactly like I always like oh right I started that at the beginning of everything like literally the opening scene in my first book Revolves around a treacle tart. Um, So obviously, (laughs) I personally am entirely food centered. So um, this makes perfect sense to me. Uh, But yeah, it's kind of adorable. Um, they're're they're, they're very cute about it <laughs> you know like, it, it means that for example somebody discovered that there were purple potato noodles at one point and uh, told me about it immediately <laughs> so now I have um, spies everywhere finding crazy new and exciting um, foods for me to try that tie to my different books so now I'm like what am I
2: gonna put into this book that we need, I, we I need I, a cookbook I know I should you know I'm I'm editing a cookbook already I could do another one I actually did think about, there was a very short-lived blog with food
0: specifically from the Parasol Protectorate series in it, um, with the idea to eventually turn it into a cookbook, but it kind of
1: petered out um, someday. We have been listening to Gail Carriger with a hard G, that's C-A-R-R-I-G-E-R, the author of the Parasol Protectorate series, The Tinkered Stars, and the latest entry in that is Divinity 36. Uh, the first chapter of which can be read on GailKarriger.com. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Event Horizon here on sci fi.radio.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight and a pleasure. Um, and I, I hope to run into you at a convention sometime.
1: <laughs> I think we can probably arrange that.
2: I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You have been listening to episode 261 of sci Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for Saturday, May 27th, 2023. Our guest this evening has been New York Times best-selling writer Gail Carriger, author of the Parasol Protectorate series, among other works. We have been discussing her latest book, Divinity 36. To find out more about Miss Carriger and her works, visit gailcarragher.com. That's C-A-R-R-I-G-E-R dot com. This episode will air again tomorrow, May 28th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and again on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you'll be able to listen to this episode as a podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and, of course, from our own website at sci-fi.radio. Sci-fi.radio is listener-supported geek culture radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please visit patreon.com scifiradio sci-fi radio and pledge it will help keep us on the air. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was sci-fi illustrator Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. The captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. Sci-Fi.radio's The Event Horizon is copyright 2023 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Sci-Fi.radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.